Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 91. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. On today's episode, we're talking about why Christians should watch horror movies with Dr. Murray Stiller, who is Professor of Media and Communication Studies at Redeemer University. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Dr. Amber Bowen, Dr. Chris Porter, and myself, Dr. John Anthony Dunn. So, Amber and Chris, as we build up to Halloween, uh, what were some of your takeaways about this conversation with Dr. Stiller and why we might be interested in watching horror films? Well, I thought that the history of the genre that he gave us was quite interesting um, to help us see the way that horror has kind of evolved and been shaped by the society around it. And in many ways can be a mirror or reflection of the things that are um, deeply important to us, maybe our deepest fears um, and even maybe what's going on in the world around us. So I thought that that reveals the depth of the genre Um, and how it can also be useful for us just to better understand the world in which we live. Yeah, I I really appreciate thinking about uh, how we, how that helps us with our own processing of of our engagement with the world and also some of the challenges that come from the genre as it has been escalating and changing over the years, as we've been considering how it's been shifting more towards uh, what some people have called horror porn and the, the continue, seemingly continual escalation of uh, the genre into uh, darker areas. Yeah, it's fascinating to talk about, you know, how the genre can be cathartic for the viewer. And and I especially enjoyed the theological rationale provided, especially towards the end, about uh, why these films actually do have some value for thinking about uh, theology and, and these sorts of things. And with that, here's our conversation with Dr. Stiller. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Stiller. Always my pleasure. So with this conversation about horror movies, perhaps a good place to start is with its popularity. Why are these movies so popular? Why do people want to watch horror films? Well, I'll try to keep the answers as short as possible, but it's it's long. And it's 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 kind of goes for everybody because you got to think of horror. It's not just about film. It's it's uh, it's a literary format that goes back you know centuries. It's 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 uh, steeped in Old Testament literature. And the idea of horror is we expect something out of it. We expect this kind of idea of, of unpleasantry, experiencing the unpleasant. And it, it's, uh, it's really about the sublime that creates this sense of fear, anxiety, disgust, or dread. But it's, it's something that we want to uh, feel and experience in a cathartic way, some kind of way that's going to extend our uh, sense of knowledge through this this experience, but we really are drawn to horror for for two, kind of two reasons. One is the physiological effect that a horror movie has on us, similar to the way comedy makes us laugh, drama makes us cry, and pornography uh, uh, has uh, a physical effect. This dopamine 
uh, physiological thing that's going to happen to us when we experience this anxiety with our heart beating, our, our, uh, our blood pressure racing, and we know it's going to come and it's, it's, there's the pleasure in that. So one, it's the physiological and second, it's the psychological. It horror allows us to explore our fears kind of in the safety of our own home, knowing that the monster isn't really going to get us, but yet we are able to confront the monster. And it sparks this imagination in us that really um, it propels us outside of our, of our own experience in kind of this existential way. So it's, it's uh, for those two reasons, I think uh, horror is probably one of the more popular formats and growing as far as, as far as film goes, but you know, it's also got its own, uh, uh, section at, at, and, and literature and painting. I mean, you really see it in, in painting. Um, but it's, it's, uh, in the news as well. I think the news is a big part of a part of it as far as the history of, of horror and the desire to, uh, confront our own fears. I'm wondering if you could explain just for those who may not be aware, um, what you mean by the sublime, and this is a philosophical concept, and it's one that's definitely talked about in film. Um, and I'm wondering if you could explain that and what that the encounter and the longing for the sublime, like what what is that? And also um, cathartic experiences in film and how that's related to to knowledge, as you said, or our knowing. I know a lot of your research centers around um, the catharsis in film. So be curious to hear um, you talk more about sublime and catharsis. So the, the idea of the, of the sublime is really, it's finding beauty in things that are ugly. And the sublime is a philosophical idea. It's nothing, it's nothing new because um, we've seen it in art, particularly like in, in Renaissance art and, and where, where we saw like these really ugly images. But we're looking at things that are unpleasant or grotesque that we can we find a, a, an idea of beauty. And it might be within the form, um, but it's really kind of in the, the idea, something we're experiencing, something that rings true to us. And we find that pleasure in it. So when it comes to the idea of catharsis, particularly in film, because that's my background, again, not getting trying to get too philosophical, but catharsis is that moment in the movie at the end, when you kind of experience yourself, it's, it's recognizing yourself in the movie. It's, it's coming into this idea of being. It's when being discovers itself. What I really mean, what I mean by that is that catharsis is the end of the movie when you, you, the, the, the hero wins and does this kind of great valor thing, as you know, Aristotle talked about, that it's, it's, it's seeing this good action take place. And catharsis is recognizing ourself within that story that makes us want to do good. Now, catharsis doesn't necessarily mean it's good, but it, wanting to do good, that was Aristotle's take. But the idea of catharsis is, is we come to a bigger, a, a bigger and a better understanding of ourselves when we're reflecting on our own lives while we're watching a movie. And horror is particular to that because we have something invested in the outcome of the hero. And through that investment, we're thinking about ourselves. And that's the cathartic moment where you kind of discover, oh, that's me in that movie. 
So I'm interested in in that concept of catharsis and uh, from a psychological perspective, that works uh, as an individual viewer of, of horror films. Uh, but also, I mean, there seems to be something towards the popularity of horror films in, in, a, in our culture that points towards a, a broader importance for, of them for our culture as a whole. Uh, and, and perhaps um, so, some people have suggested that this may be in terms of corporate catharsis, uh, that especially in times of uh, significant societal trauma, uh, such as um, you know, in, in the, the middle of a pandemic or uh, when we have si- significant events such as 9-11, there seems to be an uptick in horror movies and, and consumption of horror. So I'm interested in, in what is the importance of that for our, our corporate understanding, for our societal understanding? You know, I, I think rather than uh, saying what is it in the moment of, of that importance kind of corporal understanding, what we can do is we look back over the last century of, of uh, cinema and in every decade, there's some kind of an event that seems to be directly connected to the horror movies that were being made. Uh, I mean, right back to the, the, the early cinema, uh, or you think of uh, German Expressionism, the end, what was going on in Germany during their depression and after the World War, how that kind of societal uh, psyche in the moment gets reflected in the movies in the movies that they made. But you can look in the 1950s where uh, you've got the rise of the monster movies, the, the Dracula and the Frankenstein and all the rest and the, this, this gothic form, which was really kind of a fear against foreigners coming in. And then that fear of invasion, we saw it in the 50s and 60s with like the mega monster movies, the Godzillas or the invasion of the body snatchers or fascination with aliens. And then uh, in the 60s with, you know, Monsters Are Among Us, the Hitchcock movies, 70s, watching, you know, Vietnam footage and where, where this horror became more personal and had this kind of sense of random violence. Um, 80s, AIDS and cancer. We saw David Cronenberg make all these movies about kind of this body horror, this, this thing that's growing within us that's growing its way out. Uh, postmodern horror in the 90s, I mean, go on, and, you know, war, as you mentioned, the war on terror in the 2000s, and we, and we had the, you know, the purge movies and the zombie movies that you know, people are out to get us, and the found footage movies, there's where horror is, we are living in the horror movie, in the middle of the horror movie. We've seen a change in horror movie in the 1950, uh, sorry, in the, in the 2015 and on, and it's hard to say exactly what that means yet. It's, a, it's kind of thing we're going to have to we'll reflect back on it in 10 years. But there's definitely a, we're going to see a trend in certain kinds of horror movies, particularly with things like the pandemic, uh, extremism, political and religious extremism, this, this really open hostility in media, both in, in, in uh, general media and in social media. So whether it's pandemic or murder hornets, or I'm watching this kind of fascination with UFOs again, kind of emerging, who, who knows where this is going to go? So, but it, it definitely, the horror movies, horror movies that we make are a reflection of what's going on in the, in the general psyche. But this is a really interesting time because the horror movies are changing. And I don't quite know how to, how to pinpoint it, but you've got movies like 
you know, Parasite, Get Out, Us, Hereditary, Babadook, Midsummer, this kind of interesting thing where horror movies are out in the open. They're out in the in the um, out in the sunshine. They're not relegated to monsters hiding in the back, but it's part of our common everyday experience. It's become much more existential. Mm. And Midsummer, in particular, is is an interesting example, as you, as you said. It's completely you know lit, and you know it's completely bright the entire film the colors are you know very beautiful it's not you know this kind of creepy dark sort of tone visually to the film and yet it's terrifying and really speaks to what you're talking about and i love the overview that you just provided with all the different decades and how it relates to the zeitgeist of what was going on at the time i think particularly when you mentioned uh, body horror in the 80s the dune film does a lot of that really grotesque and it's a sci-fi film that we're going to actually be talking about the remake of it here in, in a week or two. And so that's a really interesting example. And I'm wondering if we could talk about some of the, the tropes in particular that make up the genre. Some of my favorite horror films are ones that kind of play with those tropes meta-reflectively. I think of the Scream films and Cabin in the Woods in particular, that in some ways are both a critique and celebration of the genre. I'm wondering if you could speak to some of those tropes that characterize the horror genre. Sure, and the, the tropes are pretty general, and of course they're not. They're, each horror movie will will kind of employ a different trope or combine a few different things. But you can kind of say that there's uh, when you're talking about the horror genre, there's some real kind of standards that we, as you kind of look over all horror movies, that these are the things that really stand out. But from there, you can go much more specific. Uh, so you've got like a central character who's the victim. Um, the, the antagonist or the, the villain, the bad guy, is a result of something that we've done. It's part of our own action, whether it's uh, spiritual, inviting evil in, or whether it's uh, technological, where we've created something that then comes back to kill us. Um, of course, there's, there's horror is based on violence. And, and there's kind of often an overtone of sexual violence as well. Um, religion is viewed as an intermediary. Um, the supernatural, obviously, is going to often play a, a role. And when I use the word, it could be supernatural as in spiritual, but it could also mean supernatural in good versus evil or rational versus irrational. Uh, children play an important part in, in horror movies because they represent uh, innocence. And in a lot of horror movies, they'll have some kind of a special power. So as I'm mentioning these, you're probably probably movies are coming to mind that you're thinking, oh yeah, no, I, I see that for sure. And you think of you know, children with special powers and there's all kinds of movies, horror movies that have been made out of that. Uh, locations have special significance, but probably one of the most important thing of, of horror movies is the idea of, of redemption or grace. And the fact that uh, relationships with, you, know, you can't trust anybody, relationships don't provide grace or hope for characters in a horror movie. Um, any horror movie, you, you can't rely on somebody else for your survival for the, for the most part. And it's that, that uh, playing off that idea of where do you go to find hope, to find whether redemption or just salvation, physical or, or otherwise, um, relationships aren't something you can trust. 
I'm kind of curious about that because I am thinking of different films where, you know, it's, it's this person that you are sort of partnered with, you're trying to escape a situation from or whatever. And then it turns out that that person is also a zombie or something like that, you know, and it's terrifying, I think, because it taps into this human experience of uh, the, the vulnerability of trust. And what if that person underneath is not what they appear to be on the surface? Um, at least that's kind of the, the fear that I feel it tap into. I'm wondering what you would think about that. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Others. It was a, a, kind of a classic, excellent horror movie um, starring Nicole Kidman. But basically, she's, she's her and her children. It's, it's during World War I. Her and her children are in this old English mansion while the, while the father has gone off to war. And they start seeing ghosts. And there's, there's uh, a couple who, who are uh, the chef and help look after the house. And um, they're trying to kind of help, help the mother and the kids through this. But they, they seem kind of, uh, kind of villainous, like we, something about them we can't trust. Well, uh, spoiler alert for the movie, in the end, you real, the, Nicole Kidman realizes that she is actually, her and her kids are the ghosts. And these other two people, the, the, the butler and the woman who's helping to run the house, uh, they're ghosts as well, and they've been trying to kind of help them pass through, um, uh, you know, over to the other side, I suppose. So there's, you know, the characters aren't quite who you think they are. Um, we weren't relying, there's a bit of a difference. We weren't relying on them during the movie, but then at the end we realized they were the ones that actually were providing grace throughout this, this whole film. Uh, that's what just kind of one that comes to mind. Oh, how about It Follows? It, there's, a, there's a good one for you, uh, I think, Amber. It is uh, a horrifying and very unique movie. Basically, it's, the premise is, if you, have, <laughs> if you have, it sounds kind of silly when you say it, but it, the way it's shot, it's very cool. Uh, if you have sex with somebody, they are going to pass off this thing to you uh, and what this thing is going to do, it's going to hunt you down and kill you. But this thing kind of walks very slowly to get you, but there's no stopping it. It is going to kill you unless you have sex with somebody else and pass it on to somebody else. So there, while you think you're having this uh, romantic encounter with somebody, in fact, that person isn't to be trusted because they're just trying to get rid of it and give it to you. And then after that, they'll tell you, you have to, you have to go and now have sex with somebody else because it's going to kill you as well. So there's a good example of, of the, and I think that's actually, Chris, coming back to your question, what, you know, what's going on in the, in the, the common psyche um, and how do we see it in horror movies? And I think there's something in It Follows that actually does tell us a few things about, you know, what we're experiencing right now at the, you know, second in this in the second decade of the 20th century sounds like the worst game of tag ever it's 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 exactly what yeah it's 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 a terrible game of tag but what a the premise sounds really kind of silly but the movie and the way they've they've created it it's very slow with a couple of good jumps but it you you walk away with this hopeless feeling it's also very interesting and as sort of a commentary on the relationship with the other, like how the violence between the self and the other, like 
trying to offload something onto someone else, right? And using that person, using the other as a way of kind of offloading what you have onto them. It's, it's a kind of objectification. Mm, totally, totally. I'm also Agreed. curious about the, the rise of horror comedy. I think the first one that I ever saw was um, Get Out. And I had never seen this mixture of actually, I don't know if that's gone on for a long time, but I had never seen this mixture of that kind of, you know, like you were saying, just out in the open, but not just out in the open, like the actual comedic. Um, and it's just, it's such a, an interesting genre to me. It's so different. Is that something that is actually pretty recent? And if so, you know, what do you think is going on there? Like, what is that telling us? No, it's it's not recent. Uh, it's it's been going on for a long time. I mean, basically, what's happening is you're taking genres, and and in the seventies, well, sixties, I suppose as well. We were playing a lot with the genres, and the genre uh, theories were really just coming into their own. But filmmakers started to take genres, and genres are a great way of making money because you knew exactly what the audience wanted. You knew who your audience was. You were making something that was very consumable to a group of people. But then you realize, well, wait a second, we could mix a couple of genres and it essentially become a, it became a subgenre. So while you've got your four basic genres, horror genres being psychological, you know, the killer horror, monster horror, and the paranormal, well, now those go down into a lot of different subgenres. But then you can start to mix the idea of comedy and horror or sci-fi and horror or horror and romance as well, which, uh, you know, the Twilight series, they're a good example of that. So you're, you're, you start to mix things an awful lot and horror and, and comedy work well together because they both have that, that uh, physiological response. We can get scared and we can laugh at the same time. And, you know, the dopamine rush from that is fantastic. So it no, it's it, it's not new, uh, but it sure is. It's very popular. As a matter of fact, last night I was watching a uh, New Zealand series called Wellington Paranormal, and it's it's on uh, Canadian Crave, and it's about it's kind of like a mock documentary about a couple of uh, New Zealand police officers who start exploring the paranormal, and it is the funniest, driest humor. Uh, another good example is is the New Zealand um, uh, series uh, Dark Shadows, with one of the guys from Flight of the Concords. So you know you, you kind of see these little pockets of 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 you know uh, groups of people that are making specific kinds of films, like like in New Zealand. But it's mixing uh, genres is is nothing new, and it's sure certainly something we'll see even more because we, we're getting kind of more savvy to genre and we've got a new generation of filmmakers who are doing really some outstanding and very creative work. I think that engagement with both comedy and, and so you come from the highs of, com of, the, of comedy into the depths of the horror or vice versa. And Taika Waititi, who, is, who directed What We Do in the Shadows and also uh, Wellington Paranormal, uh, he he's mastered that uh, partly, and I, I I'm I may butcher this, uh, but I remember him saying I think it was at a Comic Con uh, panel that part of this has been his own processing of his life growing up in New Zealand in in this context where he he was trying to make sense of the 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 society around him, 
uh, and and that engagement there. Um, and so, interesting your your own perspective then on how that sort of it seems that the dualism of comedy and horror seems to be getting broader and broader. Uh, and thinking of Taika uh, Waititi's other films, such as Jojo Rabbit, which is has this uh, complete dissonance between the horror in one scene uh, as he sees the the horrible events in Germany, in Nazi Germany, and the absolute sublime comedy of uh, the portrayal of Hitler. Mm. I'm interested in, in what you think, how you think that's going to progress from now on. Um, will that that dissonance or that that di- gap get even greater, or will will it start collapsing on us? Uh, I didn't realize. Yeah, I didn't realize that uh, he had directed the the uh, Wellington uh, Paranormal. Um, but yes, and and uh, what we do in shadows. Yeah, I call it dark shadows. You know, I think I think it's going to come down to to the voices. Um, you know, the, one, one of the reasons that, that comedy and horror work uh, so well together is that they both, they're both satiric. They both uh, are forms of satire, really, uh, because both comedy and horror are criticisms of our assumptions, many of our assumptions. So um, whereas, whereas romance, maybe not so it's, it doesn't have the same kind of satiric effect. Uh, and I just say so because I'm very involved in in satire in uh, um, uh, through a through a, a Christian satire magazine. Um, but um, you know, I, th- I think we're going to see it expand. You know, this is we are still at an early stage of this art form of of uh, of cinema. It's only been around for a hundred years, so we're really not sure where this where the outer edges of 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 the form are yet so i i would uh, i would be surprised if it collapsed in on itself because you've got these new voices that are taking it in all kinds of different directions and not always in great directions i think there'll be kind of more reflective directions but then there's also going to be kind of more need for this you know kind of pornographic um Let's let's you know we want we want to uh, turn everything into the you know we want to use the other for our own self gratification, um, whether it's it's people or uh, uh, you know being able to see more extremes of things or, or create more extremes of things. So I I, uh, I I only see the genre and and horror filmmaking uh, getting a lot more creative and a lot better and a lot scarier. I do have a, a, a student. Um, I, I taught at a and helped run a, a film program out in, in Western Canada. Um, it, it's kind of an interesting side story. I suppose it might feed us into um, when does horror go too far? But this lovely, lovely young woman. Uh, she's just a, a a fun, bubbly person who makes the most grotesque sexually charged horror movies and uh i i did help them kind of get started and i sound designed one of her short films that i would never let my uh uh my mother know about much less my my kids ever see they wouldn't want to see it um but she has a real kind of political statement that she makes with her movies um and uh the point being 
is that she's there's this young young woman who not what you would think of as a horror movie, although she, you know, she's gotten into the culture and now she's made a number of uh, feature films and and is living in Los Angeles. Um, but that she had an idea and had a vision and was taking this kind of political idea because she's Mexican Canadian and wanting to kind of speak for Mexican immigrants, but turning turning those into horror movies, very grotesque horror movies, with a sense of revenge and justice um, that, that uh, arguably goes too far, especially in her, in her short films. But when we were trying to help her get her fe- first, first feature film done, I had to say no to giving her $100,000 to help get it made because I was representing a university and it had gone so too far um, that that it was just there's no way we could have parents come in and say you know you were, you funded this movie this is not a place I want to send my kids so I, I don't know if, I hope she understood my point of view at the time but my my point is that you've got young visions young people with visions who are who are going uh, taking this into some really interesting directions so we've talked about the things that horror kind of reveals to us about ourselves or ways that society kind of expresses itself um, through horror and even kind of conditions villains for us as well. But what I'm wondering is, you know, so those are the good and, and kind of helpful things about horror, but when does horror actually go too far? Well, that's, that's, that's the, uh, that's the real question here. Um, and, and to say that it's purely subjective, I don't think is, is, is helpful. Um, because I think there are some places where it just goes too far, where it gets turned into pornography. Um, I think it goes too far when there's no hope for redemption, where God is, is not present, where there's no, um, not the, you know, that the, 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 the hero or the, the main character needs a way out of the horror scenario, but where there's no light at all. Because the idea of, of, of horror is, is, there needs to be some kind of a hope. There's a glimmer of light, um, which is kind of the redemption. I mean, as Christians, we see that as, as God's redemption for us, even in, in you know, the worst situation where death is inevitable, uh, there's still hope because of the cross. But I think it goes too far in society when it, 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 um, it becomes a form of a fetish. And while I think everybody can kind of, uh, you know, tolerate different levels of horror, uh, I know in my family, uh, my son and my wife uh, have a very low tolerance of horror. And when my son was growing up, we had this thing that we said to him that was, I think, quite effective. We reminded him that whatever he puts into his brain, he can't unsee. So he has to be aware of that. If he puts himself into a situation, there'll be some things that he won't be able to take out of his, out of his mind. Um, and that was enough, I'm saying enough of a threat to him. But I think it's kind of a, a helpful way to be thinking about yourself when you're watching a horror movie and knowing when you're going to go too far. There are things you won't be able to unsee. So you need to kind of be, I think everybody needs to be protective uh, in some way. Um, I have a much, uh, much higher tolerance, but I have seen some things that um, I still find disturbing. Um, but I think there's some, I think you, you, we all think of some ideas where, okay, well, this goes 
horror's gone too far here. And I think particularly of torture porn, where people get pleasure, joy out of watching other people suffer. There's really no story to it. There may be a little bit of hope for the final person in, in um, the, the Saw movies who is going to escape, but we know it's, it's not going to you know, be forever. But the whole movie is about just sitting and watching people die in unique and grotesque ways. So I think there's an example where horror goes too far. Splatter movies where, you know, the more blood, the more everything, the better. Um, again, I, I, what purpose does that serve? Or when we're movies that celebrate evil for evil's sake, uh, again, I think that goes too far. Um, and quite honestly, they're not interesting stories. They're not good stories. Uh, those are not going to be the horror movies that survive the century. There'll be a blip. Yeah, they'll make a lot of money for, for a certain pop segment of the population, but um, they're not creative. They, they, I don't think they're, they're adding anything to the culture, nor are they adding really much of anything to the art. But, so what, what movies would you say? You know, this is where it just went too far. I couldn't find anything of value in it. Yeah, I mean, for me, if there's nothing interesting about the film in general, I tend to not find there to be any anything drawing me into it so it could be that the the bad guy has an interesting motivation um that was one of the things about the saw films originally that i found intriguing was that the the villain has this benevolent malevolence i don't know how to describe it any <laughs> other way he has this weird philosophy that motivates him and i was intrigued by that you know early years of college uh, i eventually lost complete steam with that franchise because it just seemed everything was inevitable. You'd watch a certain sequence and there'd be this tension, presumably be of like, oh no, what's about to happen? But you know what's about to happen. What's been described to the potential victim is exactly what's going to happen in the sequence that you're about to watch. And it just, it just, it was, it, it, it's so repetitive and, and um, it, it wasn't, it was no longer worthwhile, even though what originally attracted me to, to it was the twist at the end of the first film and the philosophy of the villain. Uh, I, I lost steam with it. Uh, I, I tend to, I tend to be more inclined towards psychological thrillers than straight horror. You know, there are a lot of horror films that I sort of deem sort of the boobs and blood films, you know, uh, or the torture porn films, as you've described, saw as part of that. Um, and so for me, it, it is more of the sort of the, 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 suffusion of horror into other genres that I'm inclined towards like sci-fi or psychological thrillers or these sorts of things it tends to be less horror per se for me now. Um, it was a big part of my high school years, my college years. Uh, but I, I, I've grown more inclined towards the, the use of horror uh, in a, in a discrete genre rather than horror per se. At least I've found a lot of the genre to have been uh, in decline for me personally. So there are some psychological horror movies that, you know, you might say would go too far. Um, I think of the, you know, uh, there's a few films that were banned years ago. Um, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer or Man Bites Dog, uh, the French film, um, Peeping Tom from the 1960s, uh, where, you know, again, it, it's the idea of the psychological is, is it's, it is so, it's, it's, we're celebrating the evil out of it. You know, the, the hero, the, 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 uh, the killer is the hero. 
American Psycho more recently, I suppose, in the 90s, where, um, you know, does, does, does that go too far? And how do, how do we judge where it goes too far? I don't know that I have the full answer for that, but I think it's part of a conversation that needs to be, that we can have, that's going to be more constructive rather than just reductive. I'm kind of curious, when you were talking about how films that you think go too far, far horror films that go too far, they, a characteristic of them is that they don't, they don't have any kind of a story to it. And so they don't offer anything creative or, you know, even if it's not like a strict plot line, they just don't offer anything creative. And, and I wonder if these just blood for blood sake kind of, or what is it you call them, John, boobs and blood films. I wonder if, if they function, I guess it's similar to porn in that, you know, you, you see it once you have the, the experience and then, then you need something else. Right. But something that has a really, really create that's creative or that has a really good story, you go back to that multiple times. So I always think, you know, you know, something is a classic or, you know, that it really contributed if you want to watch the movie again and again and again. And, you know, like I watch The Office every year (laughs) because because it is that, you know. So so do you think that that maybe is part of it, that when when it's just something that you just kind of watch it and it has an effect on you and then you have to move on to something else. Like, would that be an example of something that goes too far? Yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily going too far, but I think you, you know, you answered, you answered the, the, your quite your own question saying that, you know, you needed, you know, you've had that experience. You need it again. You need, you need more, you need not, you need something else different. You need to take it to the next level Uh, with the, the reason you watch the store, the office over and over again, is because it's a really interesting story. There are, there are layers to it there, that are going on. Whereas in pornography, um, you know, it is what it is. And you're just obsessing over the bits and pieces. Same in those kinds of horror movies. There is no, there is no outcome that we follow. It's just we want to fetishize that uh, thing that we see on, on, on screen. And we want that dopamine physiological effect well the second time we watch it we're not going to have that same kind of intense feeling and then the third time even less and then less and that's when we've got to go find something else that's going to take it on to the next level and be even more so and uh we can find that but we get we become numb to it um so we're watching it for the fetishization rather than from you know, some kind of a, a story where we're being led to that cathartic moment where we become more uh, aware of ourselves kind of in, in the, the grand context of creation. And that, that moment's kind of interesting too, because it's more than just kind of a sensory experience or the dopamine rush, like you were mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. because it actually has kind of a self-reflexive aspect to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just me at having this feeling or having this dopamine rush. Like I become aware of myself as a self and I question, or, you know, I connect with the character. So there's just a higher level of, you know, self-awareness as opposed to just sensation that's going on. Well, my guess is that you're, you've chosen this topic or you're interested in film or anybody who's listening to this, they're listening because they have been sitting in a movie theater or, you know, late at night watching a movie on, on their device and the movie ends and they have that moment where you forgot that you were, you know, part of, uh, you were watching a movie. You felt so invested 
you had been pulled into that filmic reality so much that it became kind of a part of you. And it's that cathartic, it's that, that realization that there's, this story has had an effect on you in a very emotional way. So, you know, you probably all think, whether horror or any kind of movie, uh, of that moment where, you know, my life is different now because I have experienced this art. I see the world a little bit differently. I see myself a little bit differently. And, you know, Aristotle's hope is that, okay, well, now I'm going to act differently because I'm going to be a better person because of the art I experienced. So, so with all of the obje- objections about uh, horror movies, and especially those that, and the genre as a whole seem to be going, becoming more and more extreme and, and transitioning more into the, uh, I guess, the, the horror porn uh, sort of uh, co- context, and especially those which are, are pub- the more mainstream uh, films. Um, interested, so many, many Christians would uh, argue that there is no reason for Christians to watch horror at all. Um, or engage in consumption of horror. I, interested in, in your thoughts on, on reasons why Christians should engage in, in, in processing and, and watching horror films. Absolutely. There are, there are a lot of reasons. And, and I, I think it, it, these aren't ex- some of these aren't exclusive to horror, but to film in general and to art in general. But particu- specifically, why should Christians watch horror? Because there's a lot, uh, that, there's a lot for us to learn, a lot of for us to reflect on when we're watching a horror movie. Uh, horror movies tend to be about good and evil. So it's, it's, it's recognizing the consequence of, of our kind of fallen nature or, or consequence of sin. They're about the supernatural. There's kind of this spiritual, it asks spiritual questions and leads us to some kind of spiritual reflection where we kind of recognize there's more to life than just, you know, the material world, um, but ultimately points us to, either God or to uh, understanding kind of that spiritual realm. Um, uh, horror movies are suggest, at least the ones we've watched, that the wages of sin is death. So um, we need, you know, it calls us to that purity. It gets us to reflect on, you know, what we're doing that's right and wrong. Um, and it, it tells us we need redemption. We need, uh, we need to find some kind of hope. Um, we, we're we are, are created to live in goodness. We are, are um, not only redemption for ourselves, but redemptions for our friends, our family, for the rest of the world. But just horror in general, it, it, it gets us asking questions about society. It gets us thinking critically. Um, it allows us to speak faith into culture. And I think there's been some great filmmakers who are Christians who have done that really well. Uh, particularly uh, Scott Derrickson that did movies like Sinister. But by going through, you know, following, thinking critically about horror movies, it helps us understand how uh, media is engaging with society, either as entertainment or uh, as a form of education, as a way of edifying, showing beauty and the sublime in the world. And it's, it, it really becomes kind of a form of evangel- uh, evangelism, not evangelism in, in, in the proselytizing way, but evangelism, and let's, let, let's convince people of this way of looking at the world. So I, you know, I think I, it's part of our biblical narrative. I can keep going with more answers, but ultimately, really, it's the idea of, of horror and watching, putting yourself in that unpleasant experience is that it, it does lead us back to Jesus. It leads us back to the cross, 
And uh, that's where that ultimate redemption is. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Stiller, for, for joining us and for talking with us about horror movies, especially in this Halloween season as we build up to, to, that, to that holiday. Thinking as well about the calendar in terms of Christmas being a couple months out, and I think that is one of the values of having this on our calendar is this kind of you know dark before the dawn kind of uh, sort of sequence uh, that you have been uh, referring to as, as well. So just thank you so much for, for joining us. My pleasure. It's uh, always fun to talk to people about movies.